Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got one of San Diego's finest on the line, Matt Ramazzi. How are you today? Good. Thanks for having me. Glad to have you here. And, and we were talking in the pre-show a little bit. Uh, you know, I'm a former accountant, or as my brother likes to call me, a reformed accountant. I'm not sure where he's going with that. I didn't no. dig deeper, but knowing him all my life, I kind of know what he means. But sure. anyway, um, you do some amazing work with businesses and, and the accounting and, and bookkeeping stuff. So why don't you share with the audience a little bit about you, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Sure. Yeah. So we're, uh, yeah, we're based in uh, San Diego here, but we actually have clients all over the country. And what we primarily do with them is we help them with their bookkeeping and their taxes. We've got a big niche in uh, in online business, e-commerce, but we serve kind of all kinds of small businesses. And I think if I could pick one thing that kind of makes us stand out a little from the average accounting firm that you run into is I myself, if you ask me, I identify as an entrepreneur first and foremost. I've owned other businesses. I run this business focused on growth and profitability and optimization more so than focused on the nitty gritty of accounting. Of course, we do that, but I love to talk to our clients about, hey, you know, what are your goals? How are you planning to grow? What are your challenges? Let's talk about the business first. And then once we kind of understand better where you're coming from and where you want to get to, then we can see how accounting fits in the picture. I think a lot of accounting firms, they have a very narrow focus just on the accounting, which may or may not serve the bigger goals that the the business is trying to achieve. And sometimes people, excuse me, don't have a good understanding of how they can use the accounting, the bookkeeping as a tool to improve their business. They just look at it as sort of, well, once a year, I got to pay this big bill. That's that's the pain point. And other than that, the other 11 months, I can relax and not worry about that nonsense. But really, you're missing out on being able to use this stuff as a tool to improve, grow, and enhance your business. So that's what I try to kind of bring to the table with our experience with our clients and my background. That's amazing. And it definitely shines in the, you know, not the once a year, you, you go to the accountant's office, you drop off the grocery bags of receipts so and say, <laughs> make, make it painful. But when I worked at a CPA firm decades ago, there was this one client that used this shoebox. And this shoebox was probably 20 years old at that point. Uh, so it was, you know, and you could tell based on the name of the shoe company that doesn't exist anymore or didn't exist then. And it was like, oh, there's the shoebox. So we all knew about it. And I remember one year, it was looking pretty rough. And it's like, okay, this is bad. It's like, well, do we give her a new shoebox? It's like, no, that will kind of distort it. So, so it's like, oh, let, let's use some office supplies and let's use some arts and crafts and let's see if we can tidy it up and maybe support the bottom a little bit. So, you know, somebody brought in a glue gun, so he glued the bottom of the thing. So gave it back to her and didn't say anything. And, and all we got was a note in the mail. Thank you. know, Thanks. And this was before email, of course. Um, thanks for fixing my, my shoebox. We'll, we'll see you next year. So it was, well, it was one of those things that's just a memory of, you know, the, decade that I worked there, I remember a shoebox. You know, I don't t- can't can't remember many of the companies we did. We had thousands, but I, I remember the shoebox. But I love the fact that you focus on helping the business grow. You know, they're they're, they're thinking, okay, minimize the taxes. Okay, great. We we all get that. I think we all are kind of in that state of mind sometimes. 
but looking for opportunities, not just for here, we can do this and save you some taxes, but no, as an entrepreneur, you know, you're looking to grow your business and, you know, the, your story of, you know, growing from you know, launching this business to having over 50 employees. When you have over 50 employees, that says something. That means, okay, you are obviously generating enough revenue to bring on that many people to work on your team, unless you were able to convince 55 people to volunteer their time, which not happening, not <laughs> happening. Unless, unless they're Super Bowl dancers for the Super Bowl halftime show, which uh, that, that was not good PR um, for them. It's like, you're paying the artist millions, but you want these dancers to rehearse for 72 hours and you don't want to give them anything. It's like, come on guys, you're, you're a billion dollar entity. It, probably approaching a trillion, but come on, let's, you know, do that. So you're, you grew the business, you, you, you've learned all that stuff. So, you know, walk us through, cause I always like sharing stories uh, on how you took your business from me, myself and I to you know, bringing on, you know, bringing on a big team like that to serve all the customers you have, you know, across the U S. Right. So, I mean, it, it was intentional, right? From the beginning, I never wanted to just kind of fill my own 40 hours and stop there, right? I always, my goal was always to build a business that was big enough that I could be here or not be here and it could run without me if I wasn't here. It wouldn't, you know, fail immediately if I wasn't able to come into work one day or something. So my goal was always to build it uh, to a good size. And you know, the first thing I did and the first thing I tell any client is make sure you have a reason for a customer or a potential client to choose your business, right? Over all the choices they have, there better be a reason that you stand out that they want to choose you to work with. So I looked at the kind of bookkeeping industry and I saw a lot of people charging hourly rates. I saw a lot of people taking two to three weeks to get back to people with responses. And I saw just a lot of bad accounting. You know, they're CPAs have a certain standard, but bookkeepers, there's no, you know, national exam or state by state exam or certification. Literally anybody can throw up a shingle and say, hey, I'm a bookkeeper, even if they took one QuickBooks class 10 years ago and never really learned anything about accounting. So I said, what's going to make us different is we're going to have amazing customer service. We're going to get back to people the same day. We're going to make sure that they walk away happy working with us. And, they, you know, we're not going to lock them into a long-term contract. It's going to be month to month and they're going to come back every month because they like us. And then I said, we're not going to do hourly billing We're going because... People never, they don't like it when the clock's running and they don't know when it's going to stop, right? We're going to figure out a way to do fixed fees. We're going to quote everyone individually based on what they need. And then that's going to be it. That's the same thing they're going to pay every month. They love that. And then I said, we're going to hold ourselves to a much higher standard of accountability for our work so that when we do hand it off to the CPA or when we got to the point where we brought CPAs in-house and we're doing our taxes as well, there's not going to be pushback with, hey, these books are garbage or there's problems or these, you know, it's not reconciled, doesn't balance. So that was our reason from day one that I said I could go out and talk to potential clients and say, here's why you should pick us. And that's the same standard that we've held all the way across. So based on having an attractive offering, it was pretty easy to find clients. And then as I grew, every single hire, my goal was first to sit them down and kind of say, look, here's why clients choose us. Here's what we're special. Here's what makes us different. And this is what I want you to you know, live by. This is how I want you to work as well. And then let them go. I try hard not to be, and I feel like I've done a pretty good job of not being a micromanager, right? I, you may do it a little different than I do, 
or a lot different than I do. But as long as you get to the same end goal, the client's happy, you know, you've done the work correctly, you've delivered it to them on time, then you do you, you, you do it your way. I'm not going to sit there and tell you exactly how to do it, but you got to be nice and you got to live by the sort of standards and goals that we've set for the company. And so everybody I brought on has done that. And if they don't do that, they don't last. <laughs> and, you know, one became two, became four, became eight. And, you know, it, it's been a great ride. It's been had lots of challenges, but I think just sticking to the basics and doing those same basic things really well has been the whole driver of our growth. And there's a lot to learn from that because having a good foundation of, okay, we're going to make sure that we are going to return the calls or emails or web inquiries, whatever the case may be, you know, the same day, if at all possible. I, I think having that as a foundation, it, as simple as that sounds, and you know this, not many organizations do that. Right. I, you, you get surprised. I mean, when I send out a note or an inquiry about something and I get a response back pretty quickly, I'm like, okay, I'm impressed. You know, they're, they're on this. They're looking for this kind of thing. And a good case example, a company that I help out is in housing and they were in need of a new property management solution. So I'd done some research and reached out to some organizations. One group you know, replied back like three and a half weeks later. The group that they selected you know, responded within 90 minutes with a detailed, okay, here's a form. If you could fill this out, this will really help us match you with the right person to talk to on this end so we can have a fulsome conversation and kind of figure out, you know, if if we're a good fit. Well, they ended up being a really good fit because they 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 took that initial effort to like let's streamline all of this and we'll get everything that we both need to figure out, okay, is this going to work or not? And again, I I, I find it alarming. Uh, I'm not surprised, but I do find it alarming that a lot of organizations don't do that when the capacity is there, utilizing technology, personnel, whatever the case may be. When you do that and you have that as your foundation of customer service first, everything else will be good, if not great, because once you, if you can manage that and get that done really well, it pays big dividends. And one of the things that I always tell people, especially young people, when they're looking to go into different types of careers and all of that, I tell them, Whatever you can do, if you can work in either fast food or a grocery store as your first job, do it because you will get to engage with every race, every age group, every income demographic because everyone needs to eat and you'll learn different techniques on how to deal with different kinds of people. So if you're in any type of service industry, you're going to be able to navigate through that and it laid a foundation for my career and all the things that I've done in my life. I always go back to those first couple of years of my working career, you know, working in a grocery store, which then led to me working for an accounting firm, which led to me going into IT and then riding the dot-com bubble. And then when that blew up, I'm like, I'm going back to bean counting. And, <laughs> and I did for a while and then fell into nonprofit leadership and then my own leadership organization. And it's it seems con, you know nice and small, but then when you do the math, and again, being a, a reformed accountant, as my brother calls me, yeah, you know, I look at him like, wow, that's a lot of years. Uh, but again, you have that foundation as the organization, and it sounds like you've been able to keep that, even though you've gone from 
you know, starting off with, with just you and a small team to obviously a decent, a decent sized team now. And your customers sense that. I'm positive of that. They notice that difference. And that's why they love the fact that they get to work with you. They love you know, being able to reach out and go, you know what, I'm going to ask a question on this idea. And you're not just, yeah, okay, yeah, we can deduct this or no, you know, you, you can't do that. But it just, it, it shines in, in the work that you do, I'm sure. Yeah. And it's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, service industry background, because that's where I started was in restaurants. And the two things you learn in restaurants, one is hustle, right? There's no sitting around. It's always move, move, move. Everything else after you've worked in a restaurant seems slow paced. (laughs) Other people go, wow, it's so crazy busy. And you're like, no, it's not that bad. (laughs) And then the other thing I learned, you know, working my way up from you know, literally ground floor sort of server, you know, refilling water glasses up to managing restaurants and a variety of, you know, uh, different um, restaurant locations over the years of being the manager is you really learn how to work well with people. And the, the lesson I took home more than anything else is that the manager, the, the top person sets the tone, right? If you have a manager who doesn't really care about good customer service, you will quickly see that the staff picks up on that and they let standards slide. If the manager doesn't care about keeping things clean, that goes by the wayside. If the manager, you know, is they're the ones making the hires, they're the ones setting the tone, they're the ones enforcing or not, whether training is done right, whether standards are upheld, it all comes from the top. So, you know, even at this point with us, you know, I don't have a lot of personal interaction with everybody on the team anymore with 55 people. It just doesn't, you know, doesn't scale. But because I was the one who hired most of the original people and set the tone and I'm still involved every day and I'm still here kind of saying, hey, we got to make sure, you know, we're known for great customer service. So we can never let that slide. And, you know, I'm setting the tone. And that follows through and that results in us hiring people who fit that mold and us upholding those standards and everybody kind of being on the same page. It really comes from the top. And you quickly see when, you know, if you get to an organization or you run into, like you're saying, a business um, where they don't get back to you, they don't seem to care that much if they do a good job or not. You know, we had some painters out to the house and you know, it was, they had a good price, but we quickly figured out, you know, the owner wasn't that involved. They left a mess. They didn't, you know, didn't hit all the little spots and, you know, just that kind of stuff. And, and it's, it clearly comes from the top, right? If the owner cares, you see it all the way through. If the owner doesn't care, you see it all the way through it. That leadership piece is super critical. And that culture more than anything else you do, right? Even if you're not uh, training them on the technical skills or you're hiring, you know, we hire people who already come with an accounting background and know what they're doing from an accounting side. But what we're adding to it is that culture and that expectation of how we want things done from that side. And that's, you know, our secret sauce, which really isn't a secret at all, right? I'm happily telling you, this is what makes us work and what makes us succeed. It's not a secret at all. It's just most people don't take the time to do it. That's the big thing. Uh, the ingredients are there. You know, one of the things that I do is I speak to organizations and work with companies on burnout prevention. And you know, I had a talk last week in Orlando about that. And I, I th- it's one of those things where people go, "Okay, he's going to tell us the secret to preventing burnout." And it's like, there's no secret. It's get plenty of rest, do whatever you can to get some activity in your life, eat foods that are right for you. Um, 
learn how to manage stress better. Don't overcommit to things. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> but, and everything's like, it's a super secret. No, it's not. And I, I, I took some of those things from a book that's titled Burnout that was published in 1980. <laughs> and guess what? I mean, I, I, I read that book every couple of years. It's like, well, let's go through it. And there's some things in there that definitely feel dated, but a good chunk of that book that book could come out today and everybody like, Oh wow. Yes, it is. And I said, well, yeah, I wrote a book and you know, I didn't steal from it by any means, but you know, the same principles and ideas from my perspective were there. And it's just, again, everybody thinks, Oh, there's this super secret thing to make businesses successful. It's like, not really. I mean, there's no quiet other than the Colonel's secret recipe. That's pretty much the only secret recipe that I'm aware of in, in business. Everything else is out in the open. It, you know, the secret, I guess, would be the actual performing of those tasks and making that a priority. And your firm obviously does that because you wouldn't have the growth otherwise. I mean, unless you just, you know, decided, okay, we're going to start doing this and you, you slowly build up over time. But I'm one to say I'd much rather have a bunch of quality clients that are great than a ton of meh clients because those those horrible clients, you know, not to pinpoint anybody or anything like that, are the ones that take up most of your time. They don't value what the work that you do. They whine and moan about your pricing. And they're just, they're, it just, and it brings down the culture a bit too, because if we say, okay, we're, you know, we have an expansion plan and we want to expand into Canada, for example. All right. Well, similarities, but different. Than the U.S. and you know this being a dual citizen and work at both places, there are there are subtle differences, and the application of things that are done in the U.S. may or may not work here. But sometimes they're going to say, "No, we're just going to go ahead and do it," and then all of a sudden you've got everybody frustrated because we got to deal with the nuances of working in a different market, and different clients, and different taxation code, and all the other stuff that goes into it. And then all of a sudden your, your team gets frustrated and they get tired and they're like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this anymore. And then you start seeing turnover and, and people leaving and, and the organizations like yours that, that thrive, my hunch, and I don't know this for a fact, but my hunch is your turnover is probably low. I'm just guessing. And there's a reason for that. And it's not a secret. It's treat your people well, give them the tools that they need to do their job well, have a healthy culture where everybody is helping each other out and then get out of their way and let them do their job. Absolutely. I mean, we, you know, sometimes I think too, people confuse the sort of the customer's always right or customer service is our top thing with it, letting the customer kind of run over you. Right. And, and we always say that, you know, customer service is very important, but it's gotta be the right fit. Somebody who's rude or, you know, abusive or uses inappropriate language for a professional setting or just, you know, is it, like you said, right? They, they take up five times more than they should with questions and pushback and aggravation. And yet at the same time, want to know why the price is so high. Can they get a discount? They feel like, you know, they're being overcharged, right? They're not a good fit for us. And we're happy to say, hey, look, we did our best. But, you know, it seems like we're not providing you with what you're looking for and it's probably better for you to work with a different firm. Because to your point, right, if somebody on my team has 20 clients, but one of them is taking 50% of their time and being rude and abusive, right, there's no reason my team should have to put up with 
that kind of behavior, right? And that if I let that go and I say, no, no, revenue is more important and keeping the customer happy is more important, they're going to get burned out. They're going to be frustrated and feel like they're not being supported. So yes, customer service is 100% a key driver for us, but with customers who are a good fit. And good fit doesn't just mean that they're the right size revenue or you know that they can afford our services. They have to be somebody that we want to work with too, right? It's a two-way street. So we're not here to just take people's abuse and take, you know, that, that kind of uh, you know, some people are angry or whatever they have going on in their lives, right? That's that's their issue, but we don't necessarily have to be the ones on the receiving end of that. So I think we do have low turnover because people here know that they have opportunity for growth and you know, we've got their backs, right? We're, we're supporting them. We're not going to put them in a position where they're unhappy or miserable coming to work or feel like they're expected to take abuse that they shouldn't have to. So that really helps. I mean, the culture works both ways. That's great. And you definitely worked in restaurants if you know about <laughs> abuse. <laughs> yes. it, it disgusts me when because I, I witness it and I, and I just... It annoys me to no end when I see somebody treating somebody rude or talking down to people. So I, I make it a point to, you know, swing the pendulum the opposite direction and and treat them with love and kindness and compassion and ask them how they're doing. It always throws them off because they're like, it actually sounds like you care how my day is going. <laughs> I do. I I wouldn't have asked it if I didn't. You know, I'm just because I know your job is difficult and you're helping me out you're you know whatever i'm you know getting the service for it could be the mechanic could be food could be grocery store it could be buying something at a store for the condo whatever you know, computer service doesn't matter i'm gonna treat them like a human being because they are and having that as a framework again going back to the grocery store you know the from bagging groceries for somebody that I know was a multimillionaire because they were well-known in the community uh, to the homeless person that, you know, somehow was able to scrounge up enough money to be able to buy dinner that night. And I treated them both the same. And, and I, I learned that a long time ago and I'm thankful that I was fortunate enough to learn that lesson. And it, it permeates through organizations too, when the leader sets that as the tone and Absolutely. protecting their people. So, so uh, as we wrap up, you know, what's, what's one thing that customers can do um, in, in, as far as working with, with your team that make, would make your work easier, uh, you know, bookkeeping and all the other stuff that you guys do? You know, what's one thing, if someone's thinking about being a, a client for you, what, what's one thing that they can do to make it easier for you to, to you know, make the relationship work really well? I think the best results that our clients get is when they're aware that it is a two-way street, right? Sometimes people kind of think, well, I, I hired you and now I'm out, right? You guys are going to do everything. I, I, this is a load off my mind, but they get, go a little too far with it, right? We're not miracle workers and we're not mind readers. There's got to be some two-way communication. Again, kind of back to you know, what are your goals? What are you trying to achieve? What are your pain points? And now that you've told me those things, let me, let's talk, let's have a conversation about how I can help you, what I need from you and what I can give you back. Um, people who want to kind of do a drive-by dump, you know, like with your shoebox example, right? They drive by, they drop the shoebox and then they head for the hills. There's more questions I'm going to have and there's more help I can give you if we have a 
open dialogue versus just sort of a, you know, hey, you're just here to do this stuff. And at the end of it, I'm going to pick up my financials and I'm, I'll be on my way. So, you know, we try to educate clients before we even engage with them. This is this is how it's going to work best. And I realize, you know, some people are busy. Some people have more interest in being involved than less, but there's sort of a minimum threshold of involvement and communication that we're going to need from them. And if that's not something that they're okay with, then again, we might go with, you know, maybe we're not, we're not a good fit then because we can't do this completely one-sided and sort of in the dark on this stuff um, without getting them involved. So, a good fit client for us is somebody who's interested in having that conversation and maximizing what we can give them by working with us a little bit more. We don't need a ton of time. We don't need you to become an accountant yourself or anything, but you know, we need more than just the once a month email of here's some bank statements. That's good. Those are the good clients. Then you, you onboard them well. When, yep. when you do that, because it just makes the work easier and it also allows you to scale and grow your business the way that you have. So, right. Matt, I've loved this conversation. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work that you do? Yeah, the best place to find us online is on our website, which is capforge.com. You know, we're on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram and those places, but really the best place to go is the website. It kind of lays out what our services is, some of our pricing, our background. You can see the reviews we've gotten, things like that. There's a lot of good uh, information on the blog just general uh, business tips and information. Uh, and of course, you can reach out to us from the website, either the email contact form or just give us a call. I, I always say I'm happy to talk to anybody, whether you're just starting out, you've been doing it for 30 years, anywhere in between, even if you're not looking for accounting services now or ever, just to have a conversation, kind of open the door, get to know each other a little bit. And you know, who knows how we might be able to help each other down the road. That's awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes. So Matt, Awesome. Loved our conversation today. Really appreciate you and um, stay classy. I know that's a, che- <laughs> that's a cheesy San Diego joke. I try not to do it, but it came to mind. So I thought I can't leave that on the tee. I got to hit that. So yep, there you go. <laughs> thanks, thanks so much, Matt. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.